Um, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Total Recall podcast. Um, this is an episode I'm particularly looking forward to. Um, somebody that I've actually broken bread with in Israel, um, Orvice from Permit.io. It's great to have you. Thank you, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. So we were just talking off camera about um, how we can really bring your journey to life because it's been quite a journey in terms of your entrepreneurship and the you know the companies that you've started and founded and now exited um, in your experience. So I think it'd be great to kind of just tap into that and learn a bit more about you. So why don't you just kind of give us a brief intro to who is Orr? Uh, sure thing. Um, so as you said, my name is Orr Weiss. Uh, I'm currently the uh, co-founder and CEO of Permit.io. Um, my background is a, as an engineer. I started writing code at the age of five, but my career actually took off in uh, my service in the intelligence core in the IDF, where I was an officer, developer, team lead, uh, reverse engineer, engineer, yada, yada. Essentially a cliche of an Israeli entrepreneur. Um, after my service, I was a first employee in a startup called Intigua, where we built container technology. Uh, before it was a thing, but with a truly horrible and very stupid, even I'd say, go-to-market strategy, even worse than Docker's after they ruined their go-to-market strategy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but but the but the technology itself was very impressive at, uh, at the time, and some cool people, cool companies also came out of that cohort. So companies like Logs IO and Solo IO, and I'll permit IO, so a, a bunch of IO companies. Yeah. Um. I then proceeded to found a startup called reactwell.com, which uh, did the digital body language for market, marketing, basically reacting automatically to how you move about a web page. Um, that was acquired by Metadata Inc. Uh, I then was I did some freelancing, a couple of startups, and back in the Ministry of Defense. Um, and then I was a VP of R&D in a cybersecurity company called Netline that caters to governments and like-minded agencies worldwide. Only worked on defensive projects there, no offensive ones. It's kind of principle. Really proud of it, really, especially in retrospect. Yeah. Um, yeah. Offensive cybersecurity in the civilian industry wasn't as um, commonplace and well-known as it is today and all of the implications that came out of it. But I... I immediately instinctively knew that I don't want any hand in that. It's essentially uh, basically selling weapons, cyber yeah. weapons, but still in, in my perspective, weapons. And I shied from it and I'm happy that I did so. Yeah. That was a uh, netline. So working on, uh, uh, I was basically their VP of our idea of their cybersecurity department. And uh, then uh, between late 2016 and up till a little over three years ago, I co-founded and ran CEO of a company called Rookout, uh, which is a another dev tool solution in the production debugging space. Uh, Rookout was later acquired by Dynatrace. And uh, during my time at Rookout, I ended up rebuilding the access control to our product five times when the company wasn't even three years old. And that basically drove me nuts. I didn't want to do it once, let alone five times. And reflecting on it, I realized that I've been building this crap, pardon my French, uh, for thousands of times throughout my career. And again, hated it every point. And I got together with, uh, who's now my co-founder uh, and CTO of Saf. He at the time worked at Facebook, now right. Meta. And he worked on both their internal developer tools and internal authorization. And he saw that they've invested a team of 30 people for half a decade to build the level of access control that they have, and they're still building on. So we quickly did the map and we realized this is a huge problem now as we move to microservices and to the cloud and software is constantly becoming more complex. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's And most companies are still struggling with the basic and it's gonna get far worse very, very quickly, especially with the advent and the uh, very fast paced growth of um, machine learning agents. So think about it. There's basically, I'm expecting an infliction point two years from now. If currently most users and applications are fellow humans, two years from now, it's going to be primarily our AI agents. Uh, other applications working on behalf of other applications on behalf of other applications in your application. So, um, and when we reach that point, the policies and interactions are going to be so complex that unless we have better tools and better interfaces to manage them, uh, put it mildly, we're all, we're all going to have a bad time. 
So that's what we're solving with Kermit. We're providing simplified interfaces for access control that you can easily bake into your software so you'll never have to build permissions again. No one wants to build this crap. It's a nuisance. It's uh, not unique to any application and developers are just wasting their time reinventing this over and over. So we're providing it out of the box so you can focus on the features that you actually care about. Yeah. And, uh, and that's me and also Permit uh, and my current uh, work in Energist. Well, I think the, the first thing that strikes me is how do you even start coding at five? Like, what are you coding at five years old? So uh, necessity is the mother of uh, innovation, but uh, basically everything. And um, I had a, like a very basic PC. So a lot of credit goes to my older sister. So she convinced my parents to buy a, a computer, which wasn't as commonplace. Like now everyone walks with a computer in their pocket. That mm -hmm. wasn't the case. Like it was a quite right. a luxury to have a yeah, computer. Yeah, to, yeah I know. Really. And very bulky as well. Yeah. So we had a... Um, so we had a, a, a PC and uh, in order to, so, and I wanted to play games and he showed me how to play games and to run a game back then, you'd have to type in DOS commands or basic commands. You didn't have the option of just like clicking on a UI. That wasn't yeah. So I had to learn English and I had to learn um, um, language in general and I had to learn how to operate the, the computer and I wanted to, so that uh, I had, the, had enough incentive uh, and there wasn't any other way around it. So yeah. that that got me started. And it's not like at the age of five, I didn't write very, very complex things, but I already started playing in that, I think, uh, uh, kind of started a runway that I've progressed with uh, throughout my career. Yeah, nice. Nice. I've seen um, some of the things coming out now where they're like robots that kids can program. They're like, you know, programming tools for kids. I think Lego are doing a great work at the moment. So. Yeah. I think if anybody's thinking what to get their kids for Christmas and they want to get them into coding, I think, yeah, something like that's a good start. Not as old school as the, the DOS, the you know, forward slash Windows, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I think uh, at this point it's mandatory. Like if for millennials and Gen Z, I think um, software and computers are commonplace. For the following generations, it's not just going to be commonplace. It's going to be dominant. It's going to be the primary thing that um, affects most of your interactions with your work, your reality. And uh, I think if it's not just about having a leg up, it's about just being able to get along with the basics. So I think people, parents not getting their kids into technology early on today are are missing on an important thing to do. And do you think that's that's what's helped prompt your like entrepreneurial spirit, you know, where you're kind of just solving things. It sounds like you have to solve these problems yourself. Uh, you know, you got given the computer, great, big sister's there to support, but you've had to figure out, well, I need to learn English, I need to do this, and that's how I'm going to figure that out. Do you think that is typically what's driven you down the path of, you know, solving the problems and creating a company out the back of it? Uh, that's a very tough and deep question because it's I don't have any recollection of memory of myself thinking in any other way it's like yeah. my default so I can't really put a finger and say oh this is the turning point that got me into entrepreneurship mm -hmm. I can tell you that from like a very early age I knew that I wanted to be a software engineer like I was already kind of deviling in it and I, I knew I wanted to to have that as part of my career and I can definitely think my remember myself at like um even 10, 11 already. Uh, so I, as a kid, I told myself and friends that I'm going to have a, a, a company, a software company. And at the time, I, I, I thought I'm going to call it PowerSoft. Okay. Influenced, yeah. I guess, by Microsoft. <laughs> yeah. And that's a silly name. Uh, but I already had that notion in mind that, oh, I'm, I'm going to build a software company. I don't know where I got it, but it was there. Um, Sounds like a good name to me. My, my, Company's named after an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, so I can't comment really. You know, uh, it's, a, it's a good film. I uh, I like it. Yeah, it's a great film. But um, so what do you think's your like wildest experience? So if you, if you think about it, like some of the journey that you've been on, you've been through all these different startups in different eras at different you know points in time. What do you think is like the standout for you in terms of the the biggest wall moment or like the unexpected challenge that you had to overcome? Thinking back. 
terrific question. Um, I'll try and give you something that is kind of in the, in my sense, the in the essence of entrepreneurship. So a lot of people talk about being a founder and being an entrepreneur and uh, the difficulty that comes with it and the uh, also the loneliness that comes with it and the and I think another key factor that is discussed is the roller coaster. And everyone, I, I and I try to advise and help a lot of young entrepreneurs as they get started. And so, yeah. uh, by the way, people are welcome to reach out to me. It's very rare that like an entrepreneur reaches out and I don't try to help at least a little bit. Yeah, I know. I've tested that with you as well. You've you've helped me and you've helped customers of mine a lot. So I'm very thankful for that. For sure. Um, uh, the least I could do. That's my sense of it. And uh, so I, I talked to a lot of young entrepreneurs uh, or entrepreneurs that are getting started and everyone knows to knows that the roller coaster is a thing but very few people know how it actually feels and i think that's feeling it is actually the crux of the matter because it really plays a very very powerful and even say kind of it, it really puts unique pressure on the human psyche that we're not really supposed to we're to handle and I'll share a story from my first startup that I think it won't people it won't make people feel it but I think it can help people imagine what it actually means um and so that startup was reactful I had a co-founder named Jonathan and we were um as part of a accelerator program called Upwest Labs in uh San Francisco and we were meeting with customers and uh we went with and we met with one company and uh, we went in and we did a, a demo and then we came back and we did a demo to the entire like C level of the company. And at the end of the like the demo and basic presentation, the CEO literally stands up, starts clapping. <laughs> and with them, the other people and they're clapping as well. And they're like, this is amazing. This is exactly what we wanted. It's spot on on what we need and not only are we going to sign a deal with you guys we're now going to gather all of us to our favorite restaurant to raise a toast to this that sounds excellent yeah yeah we're ecstatic this is amazing we are there laughing drinking eating uh really up in the clouds as as happy as a as a as you can be the the clock runs and uh, we have to run up for our next meeting and we're meeting with a venture capital firm um and uh first of all they they keep us waiting um like they're it's past the time and we're like they're just standing in their uh not even in their conference room just in the the kind of the the lobby and in the end they uh they usher us in into the room and the uh partner at the VC kind of steps in and he sits down uh, at the back of the uh, table and kind of uh, frowns and kind of waves at us to kind of get started. And you're already kind of feeling something here is not, it's not we're not really on uh, good terms. Uh, but we do the pitch, we go through the sl slides and we demo everything. And then he asks, oh, okay, but what about this function of the product and how much interaction are you getting from customers for that? And we're like, oh, it's roughly that, but no, no, but how do you know? And, uh, and we're like, oh, we have analytics. And I open up, uh, it was Google Analytics and I open up and I can share the data. And he literally springs up, runs to the screen and starts po pointing at different areas and said, no, 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 this doesn't make sense. And that's not, no, no. And basically this is over our entire foundation in our entire story and just kicks us out uh ashamed and uh and miserable and the key part of the story is the contrast between these two events being at the top of the world thinking you're the king and being lower than the lowest creeping crawling creature on the ground <laughs> that people wouldn't even spit on so, yeah. and that's all within an hour, an hour and a half at most. And the human mind is just not meant to switch those gears that quickly. Yeah. Like just the emotions running through your veins, just the hormones and uh, other chemicals running through your veins. 
they, they, they haven't adjusted yet. So you're just like in complete dissonance. Yeah. And now, and that's, this is an extreme story, but as an entrepreneur, you're, you get a sense of this on a daily basis, constantly. Oh, yeah. And this, and this is not something that is, um, that is relevant or approachable for everyone. It can literally bring you to to your edge very quickly. Yeah, so, I I think it's relevant in in any industry as well. Like it doesn't whether it's tech, whether it's whatever it may be. You know, like obviously my business at the moment is services based, and this year and for the last three years, it, it has been like like you say, one minute you're up and things are going fantastic, and you know there's some great deals and you're doing fantastic things. And then the next month. Wow, you you know you're like Jesus, you know I'm I'm not ready for this, or you question yourself, you have like an imposter syndrome moment, and then it's mm-hmm. it's a tough, it's a very tough place to be, and I don't think it's made any easier by the the climate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that has not only from an entrepreneurial perspective burnt a lot of people out. I think it's burnt a lot of talent out of industries as well. A lot of people have exited out of their career paths to go and do something completely different because the pressure has just been like, bam, 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 like every day of this year for a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure you've seen that as well. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of companies uh, shut down, a lot of companies firing a significant portion of their manpower. And we talk a lot about like the bottom line consequences, like, the, the economy shrinks and companies end up closing. But um, oftentimes we don't realize what this means for uh, the companies as they're struggling and, and how it changes the dynamics. So if, for example, for a company that is laying, uh, that, is, that are firing people, it's not just, okay, we're now a smaller company. It's now our entire psyche is broken. Like we have people now that are dreading that they might lose their job as well. Yeah. We have gaps in how the organization used to function and how we don't know how to fill them because it's, it, it happened too quickly. And we are now also facing more doubts than we had before. And so it's not just about laying people off. It's about restructuring your organization completely. And that's really hard to do. And another factor that comes in is basically trajectories. So when you're building a company, when you're raising funds for it, where you're building a strategy for it, you're you need to plan for growth. Like in capitalism, either you grow or you die. Stagnation is the equivalence of death. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you're building a company, you're planning on growth and hitting certain milestones of, as you go. And when you start in a positive climate, you're automatically aiming for more for higher goals, for more positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, and you align, you align people around that you raise in a certain valuation that sets you across crosshairs for those goals. And suddenly, all of those assumptions don't work anymore. The basic milestones that you can aim for have changed dramatically. So your entire plan, your entire alignment with your staff, with your co-founders, with your investors, with your customers, with everything, gone in smoke instantly. And there isn't a textbook solution that you can come in and say, oh, this is how now the company is supposed to function. You had a vision, you had strategy, you had motions in play. These are not things that you can easily rearrange. And so for most companies, first of all, if you don't understand this and as you're going through this, it's easy also not to not understand because you also don't want to understand because mm-hmm. understanding this meaning taking on the pain of the of having to change. Yeah. So often people don't understand this and then they basically run into a wall. So you have all so that means that you also have a lot of companies that are essentially dead men walking. A lot of companies in basically zombie mode and they don't even know it. Yeah. Um and that also has a cascading effect for the economy because we are not seeing all of the uh, bottom line effects. So we think the com- economy is going to shrink into a certain size, but there's still hidden factors of how much it's actually going to shrink. And obviously, 
like startup shrinking affects other businesses. So it affects uh, enterprises buying products for them. So now you have less variety and things are more yeah. costly. It affects companies like yourself, like consultancies that are helping hiring. You now have less uh, demand for manpower and it keeps cascading up till the, uh, so this is the actual, when we talk about trickle down. So mm -hmm. in, unfortunately in, uh, in modern capitalism, the bad things trickle down very quickly, but uh, the value or the um, uh, money itself doesn't trickle down as, as fast as we'd like. Um, yeah, I, um, I I think I, because I, I see it from a, a very emotive perspective as well, because obviously I'm talking to a lot of people day in, day out that run businesses and that work in those businesses. So I'm seeing like the personal impacts. I'm seeing people's mental health impacted. I'm seeing, you know, founders of companies having anxiety through the middle of the night and then people who work in organizations having anxiety in the middle of the night because they fear, like you say, they're fearful for their job. So the you know the the knock on effect is is enormous. If I think about my own personal circumstances and the impact that this economy and everything that you've just explained has had on my business, I've had to always put my personal life back twelve months because of how this business has been impacted. You know, my right. my partner and I we have goals to try and start our own family, and we've we've had to say we can't quite do that at the moment because we're not, it's still unstable. And right. I'm just one case, you know, imagine the, the hundreds and thousands and millions of people that work in this ecosystem that are having similar stresses and pains. It goes way beyond just the financial climate, I think, does it not? Right. We often d don't take into account all of the actual pain, effort and struggling that are that goes on with running anything as, as a business or as a, a vision against reality. And and to some degree, maybe that's fortunate because uh, if it's maybe kind of like also um, relating to your note, um, kind of like deciding to become a parent and have kids, like most people aren't actually aware of how much pain and suffering and friction and challenges are uh, are involved with that. Mm. So and maybe that's good because otherwise maybe we <laughs> won't do it as much. <laughs> Yeah, it's like doing another startup, I suppose, isn't it? Some people just keep coming back and back for more pain. Yeah. For me, it's uh, at some point, I, I'm kind of, I'm trying to be very stoic and and very zenful, I'd say, yeah. like mm -hmm. about it. I kind of embrace the pain in advance. I'm just assuming that's the status quo. Mm -hmm. um, um, so you know, uh, taking on the roller coaster metaphor. So some people ride on a mo mo on a roller coaster, raising their hands and they want to feel <laughs> all the yeah. bumps in the road. And yeah. I'm like more kind of like just crossing my hands and like, yeah, sure. Now we're up. Now we're down. That's yeah. that's just the heck of it. But uh, but I think it's also hard to kind of establish a mindset like that because it's not the natural. It's not the immediate natural reaction to do that for. Yeah, it's tough. I mean. You know the amount of people because I, I have quite a an affinity to to the mental health aspect you know i've i've consulted for mind and mental health charity in the uk and, and i've helped uh you know with mm -hmm. uh with some of their programs i've got my own personal story with, me with mental health and i've written a book and I've, I've got a lot of kind of um tactics that i have to use for me still to this day personally one of it revolves a lot around martial arts you know i do as much martial arts as i possibly can to try and create an equilibrium of stress to you know anxiety um how do, how do you do you kind of you know imagine you talk to somebody that you're mentoring and they're an entrepreneur they don't have that chill attitude you know that seems natural to you um, or they're not into martial arts as much as i am you know how do they how do they balance the books mentally they don't i think that's the main thing and I, <laughs> also i think back to myself as a young entrepreneur it's a lot of kind of oh basically denial mm. you're like or you're telling yourself no uh for me it's gonna be different i'm i'm i i know that i feel i have a good feeling about this i know what i want to do i'm a smart cookie i'm, I'm gonna get this right and i'm not gonna go through all of those hardships because because it's gonna work out um and i think it's okay to have that mentality so when i encounter uh, entrepreneurs with that mentality, I, I don't try to convince them out of it or try to enlighten them. I try to, I try to help help them think about how things might evolve 
And so they don't get into complete shock when things don't go the way they expect. Yeah. I don't think it's like, oh, it's also kind of like the, it's somewhere between ignorance and bliss and the um, energy of youth. Those are, there's, there's, there are good things about those qualities. Um, I think it's more about balance and dosage than uh, yeah binary yes or no. One of the one of the probably the most memorable pieces of advice that I had was not to let an ego run my business. You know, an ego will completely crush the business. Um, and I, you know, I had and have a mentor for me in terms of you know because I'm a solo founder, so I understand exactly what you said earlier about you know the loneliness of of it's just me to answer to me. Um, yeah. So I, I bring somebody in to literally pull my pants down and say, why are you doing this? Tell me about this. Think think about this. This is the consequence of, and you're like, oh God, actually, no, you're right. And then you're there at three o'clock in the morning for the next week thinking, no, no, actually she was right. She was right. She was right. And I think that's, everybody needs a mentor, right? Yeah. Um, definitely. And everyone needs um, people to talk to and you need outlets to kind of, um, find their that internal balance um uh, so communicating with someone else like uh, in programming we call this rubber duck debugging so you don't necessarily need the rubber duck to say anything mm-hmm. you just need somewhere to bounce your ideas from and that yeah. enables you to find even the just the internal resonance by yeah. with that motion um i think i also i like looking at um like at basic statistics and like just basic functions of like things that are inherent into our reality. So I think facts like 60% of startups don't reach the age of four. So that kind of, so if you grasp that, you kind of like, okay, most, most of the things are not, are not going to work out. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to apply to yourself yet, but it tells you about likelihood of things that can happen down the road around you at least. Yeah. And statistics like um, on average, uh, a startup with, um, so more correctly, the half, half-life time of startup employees are about a year and a half. Meaning yeah. every year and a half, you'd replace uh, half, half of your staff. Um, so... That also means something about the relationships you're building. And so, like, if you expect, okay, we're going to run together forever and it's going to be fine. Uh, and everyone's going to be lovey-dovey. Yeah, maybe that's not as likely. Yeah. Um, so I think things like that. And even going slightly deeper, one of my favorite books is The Selfish Gene. Uh, by Richard Dawkins. It's a biology book, but I yeah. constantly find allegories between biology and uh, and business. Okay. Um, okay. Maybe to give just one example there, there's the concept of the uh, Red Queen, and that's a reference to um, uh, Alice in Wonderland, where she runs with the with the queen and they're running as fast as they can but they're staying put. And the queen tells her, um, th- th- this is how it works here. If you want to stay put, you just have to run as fast as you can just for that. And in biology, it's a concept around uh, how competition uh, drives evolution. So without competition, um, things don't evolve as quickly. But then when there is competition, just to stay in place, you have to evolve as quickly as possible just yeah. to maintain your uh, foothold there. And that's also very true for startups. Um, the like, and that's all. And there's also an emotional thing here. Like, uh, it's basically it connects to like the target is constantly moving. You're like, oh, if I get to this point, everything's gonna be awesome. But then you get to that point, and like, nothing changed. It's it, it only got harder. Yeah. What, what, what the hell is going on? And later on, you and and that's actually when you have the. Um, state of mind to actually notice that usually it's just like oh we're, we have to co- continue running yeah um so i think r- no recognizing these patterns and knowing that they're they're just inbuilt into nature yeah and i think adapting 
is, you know, obviously part of the evolution, uh, adapting to current climate, current, you know, ecosystems. And I think the ecosystem as we have it now in terms of our business ecosystem has required immense adaptations. You know, I'm, I'm talking to, uh, I've had some great conversations the last week or two um, about individuals who are not adapting to the current climate in how people are transacting, how people are doing business with one another mm-hmm. and are still doing business as if it's 2021 and 2022. And the, the, the climate has completely changed. The economy has completely changed. So that method now is, is already outdated and the people that are not adapting to that are getting, they're being exited from businesses, they're leaving, their businesses are failing. You know, there's a completely new landscape that, you know, that yeah. this this new emergence of, like you said earlier, um, the, the, um, the millennials and the Gen Zs are going to be the forefront of, and we have to learn how to communicate in that, in that regard, you know? Right. I completely agree. And, um, and I think it connects to kind of an earlier point that we said, most people um, are not well positioned to do that type of adapting. That's why entrepreneurship isn't isn't for everyone. Yeah. Um, I think maybe everyone has the potential of gradually adapting into becoming an entrepreneur. But if you get into it and you're not um, in the right mindset, it can be devastating. Yeah, and I, I actually have witnessed you adapt from the outside looking in, in terms of yeah. permit and the, some of the hires that you've made and the way that you've gone to market. And I remember talking to other startups about you and the, the kind of people that you brought in, um, particularly around social selling and how you actually touch your, you know, your potential customer base through mm-hmm. more through more social domains. And since that point, I've seen a lot of people now start to kind of follow suit. And I, as far as my client base goes and people I know, you were one of the first to do that. So obviously you've got a very tight grip on, you know, evolution of, of how to do business, which I thought was quite a good move, actually. And I think we know who we're talking about. Um, yeah, so I'm kind of, I don't think I've invented anything new here. I'm kind of, I've adopted and adapted some uh, plays from uh, product-led growth. Hmm. And for me, it was kind of a necessity. So Permit is a company that caters to developers. Yeah, It's actually in a unique situation where we're catering to developers providing critical infrastructure. So, and and that has actually a lot of advantages and, and that puts us in the category of some other interesting companies like uh, Datadog and Twilio and GitHub and GitLab and um, et cetera. And what you see with these companies is that you leverage the power that developers have in organizations to move in quickly from the bottom up. And, uh, but because you're, in the end of the day, you're affecting critical infrastructure that connects you to significant budgets and high impact on the overall organization. So you have this crossroads where um, basically speed meets large accounts. And that's pre- pretty rare, actually. You don't see a lot of market locations or market intersections that have that uh, pattern. And I actually haven't seen a lot of VCs or a lot of other investors kind of recognize that this area, but because it's not a huge category, but it, mm-hmm. it exists and it's, I think, creating a lot of interesting companies. And, but either way, when, when you're in that kind of motion and you're looking at catering to developers, that for me as a developer, that almost immediately means uh, you can't do classic sales. Is if there's one thing a developer hates, is being told by their managers which tools to use. Yeah. So by picking classic top-down enterprise motion, you guarantee the highest level of friction possible. Yeah. You're, you're selling to the higher ops in the company. They'll mm-hmm. push it down to the engineers, and the engineers are going to hate it. <laughs> and they're going to hate you because of it, <laughs> and your entire company and everything that you stand for. <laughs> and instead of leveraging the the clout the developers have you end up uh having to fight it mm-hmm. which is um which is uh, well not ideal so i very early on i recognized that that kind of motion is um is mandatory for our type of market and i was i'd say i was lucky enough that that means that also you have 
that your that our go-to-market motion is very cost-effective. So because you're targeting developers with relevant content and you're going through those social social channels and you're catering to them in an organic, authentic way, um, you're less dependent on um, advertising budgets and you're less dependent on the changes in the networks themselves and you're less dependent on the size of your sales operation. So you have you're more flexible and your basic and your basic costs of running the business are lower. So that gives you um, more flexibility to react to a situation where everything suddenly costs more. Um, yeah, I was yeah, I was particularly impressed as well, like um, how your trajectory in the USA has has taken shape. Um, you know, to 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 kind of win some of the clientele that you now have in the states. Uh, without having local, you know, local representatives there, effectively, you know, is a testament yeah. to to that model working, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, to that model working, and to the advantages of working with developers. Yeah. So another another advantage there is that developers need very little handholding. So think. while other personas in the organization, they'll depend on you a lot of times to take them from onboarding to working with the product and scaling it out. Developers not only are capable of doing so, they'll prefer to do so on their own. Like they'll be annoyed if you try to hold their hand too much. What you think I don't know my job? Like what's the, what's the deal here? I can write your entire product myself in one day. That's kind of the developer mentality. Um, and, and it's another advantage here. So I think it's also, um, again, I think I was lucky here and, being a developer myself and kind of gravitating towards the space, uh, which turned out to be uh, malleable enough or um, flexible enough for the new climate as we went into it. I didn't plan on this climate. Obviously, mm-hmm. I had the, uh, I had, I, I had bad like scenario like scenarios that are planned for, for like a rainy day, and yeah. that's why I was I was also like I had budgets in place and stuff like that. But I wasn't aiming for this. I was hoping that there would be more sunshine than rain. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was a, a great golfer called Arnold Palmer. He said, "The more he practices, the luckier he gets." So <laughs> I think you know there is some kind of method to the madness. I would, I would say, perhaps. Uh, I don't know. Um, maybe. Uh, well, maybe I'll need to finish the journey with this company. It's gonna take several more years and then maybe you can uh, can do a retrospect and <laughs> yeah, we'll have, have this chat again then yeah um so like what if you think about permit and and the and the technology um it is quite striking in terms of what it's doing for people it's you know when i'm i'm, I'm having conversations with people as i am about different dev tools um you know some mm-hmm. of the, the clients that we work with and i and i talk to people who know dev about yours they at first they don't know it and then they go 24 hours and they look at your podcast. They've got some great content online. You know, you've done a lot of work on content and they come back and they're like, they're like whoa, <laughs> okay, I get it. This is cool. Um, so what, what is the, like, the biggest like eureka that people typically have in your experience when you're pitching permit to them? Let's say you've gone into, a, I don't know, a big bank or a, a big uh, organization that comes back and they say, oh, yeah, we, we're in. We, we like this. This is cool. So first of all, I try not to pitch it. Um, so without exception, currently our, all of our customers are inbound, meaning we didn't reach out to them and propose that they'll check out our product, but they had, uh, an internal need that mm-hmm. drove them to seek something that is aligning with what permit provides. Basically they had challenges with their authorization or access control. That's usually, that usually means that the, their, either their software is changing or they have more co- requirements from their customers like adding more roles or making or moving from R back to a back or relationship-based access control and um or they have more compliance requirements etc um and so when that happens we are positioned in the right place that they will find us quickly and we're also positioned in the way that they can get started without any friction of having to talk to us so i do a lot of calls with customers on a weekly basis mm. that me today, for example, and without exception, the I didn't I didn't pitch the product because the people coming in already worked with the product. They already knew that they needed. They already knew what it's for. Uh, 
So they came in with more advanced questions. How do I implement this specific scenario? How do I get my uh, boss to uh, approve budget for this? How do I get um, other team, team members to work on this? Or what is your pricing for this and that? Um, and I find that those are, first of all, much, much more fun conversations. I'm not, I, I don't have to convince you. You're, you're already interested. You came in because yeah. you want to talk to me. Uh, I really hate being uh, the, like that, that salesperson that yeah. knocks on your door and like, would you like to hear about our sale? of uh, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, I, I have better things to do. I'm, I'm in the middle of working here, but what, what do you want? Yeah. So yeah. I, I hate I had meeting that person and I even more hate being that person. Um, I, I suppose you're at the holy grail there, really, because I, I suppose everybody's goal, you know, bottom up, top down is, is inbound, you know, where you can get to a, a position where you're talking to people who are already bought into the product, you know, they see the value. And, and I think your value is very quickly clear. It's very quickly clear in terms of how you put it together on your website and the, the content in the way that you put it together, the value is so apparent, it's so quick that people, once they lay their eyes on it and they, they kind of digest it, they're like, wow, mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, that's legit. I get that. Yeah, for sure. So I definitely say that being able to do all, definitely, and even most of your customer engagements is inbound with actual intent. Uh, that's definitely uh, an amazing thing to have. Mm -hmm. But it's also important to remember here it's not something that you just get off the bat you need to plan the entire machine for this you need to build the right marketing department with the right people mm -hmm. so for example our entire marketing department is all engineers because yep. they're all generating content and engagements for other engineers by the way another flexibility that i got out of this for this harsher climate and also for the current war situation um, is flexibility of the manpower. So I had now I had uh, engineers going on reserve duty. Mm -hmm. So suddenly I have a lot of people missing that I can also I can't really hire replacements because you still need to pay the paycheck for that person, even though mm -hmm. like in the end the government's gonna pay you back. But it's a it's a whole thing. Um, so you need to find a way to okay we have a lot of engineering tests how do you get it done so the ability to take the the marketing folks and tell them oh you're actually engineers how about doing some engineering work you get get go get back to your roots that's okay, uh, okay. repositioning people yeah that's mm. um, an amazing flexibility that most companies won't have and again uh, something that i in some in a significant way got lucky with so all of these aspects are obviously luck as i say but also a lot of premeditation and strategy that you build at the beginning that pays out at the end. You don't get all the traffic and all those inbound customers that they want. It's, and by the way, it's more like um, basically growing a farm and, uh, and planting um, plants and letting them grow um, than like building a building. It takes time from the initial investment until you see what grows. And also you need to constantly prune. You don't actually know when, when you're planting the seeds, you don't actually know what's going to grow and in which fashion. So yeah. it also requires a little patience and, it, in, and investment in advance. And you need to know that, okay, I have to do this investment now, even though it's not going to bear fruit uh, immediately. And, th and that requires uh, patience, a little bit of foresight, and obviously planning. So what, what if you were to go, if you were to talk to all, just yeah. if you were starting out your first starter, you know, you, you flash back in the time capsule oh and you say, right, I know the journey you're about to go on. Um, this is my advice. You know, what, it, what is the biggest bit of advice that you would give to, you know, young or? Terrific question and a, and a harsh one. Because uh, <laughs> that guy, is, he's clueless. Uh <laughs> Unfortunately for me, I learned everything the hard way. Um, and uh, yeah, That's I wish I could go back. I wish, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes people get good advice or mm. they have the foresight of learning before they try to do something. I don't know. I was like, as I described those young entrepreneurs, I was the same way. I was like, I'm going to nail this. I've, <laughs> I've got a good feeling about this. I'm yeah. smart. I'm going to get this done. Um, and uh, I was essentially clueless. Uh, and I think 
the main thing that I, I didn't understand the fundamentals. Like I didn't know, and I actually think that a lot of our, our entrepreneurs are failing with this. I didn't know the difference between the concepts. So for example, the difference between go-to-market fit and product market fit. On the surface, it sounds, they sound very similar. It's like, oh, my product resonates with the market. Mm-hmm. And that's how I go about uh, getting people to be happy with it and grow the business. Yeah. No, those are dramatically different things. How you go about moving through the market and um, um, and addressing it and propagating your message in it is very different than how people actually interact with your product. They are very they're interlinked, obviously, and they have feedback loops, but they're dramatically different. And also the word market, that sounds like, oh, there's a market, there are customers, I'll go to the customers, I'll sell to them, what's the, what's the big deal? But no, what type of market is it? Is it a green field? Is it a blue ocean? Is it a brown field? Is it a red ocean? Yeah. Or is it somewhere in between? What is the size of this market? How is this market going to evolve? Um, how, what are the current strategies that other companies are employing? In this market, what they what is your end persona? How are they going to react to this? What resonates with them? What doesn't? Are you going to do top down, bottom up? There's a thousand questions that are just even just they're fundamental, they're just very basic. And unless you stop and you think about it deeply, you're gonna miss out. And unless you are aware that each little cog, each little item in these um interactions is going to have a butterfly effect on everything else that you do you don't realize how critical it is yeah yeah and i, and I think if i if i think about the people that i've i've spoken to now the the last few years you know all i've been doing is startups and scale-ups and i think about some of the people that haven't quite made it and you know if they were to have someone on their shoulder that is giving them that advice you know it's, in, it's like again, we spoke about it earlier, to have a mentor, to have somebody that's felt the fire, that's been through that bubble burst, that's been through this kind of climate and has come out to the side with a with a still a great product fit, um, you know, and not running the company with the ego to dismiss that advice offhand, you know, oh, I know better, I've got this, don't worry about it, guys, I'm I'm cool, but thanks, you know, that, that kind of hubris yeah. approach. I think with me, like past me, I think if I'd go in and tell myself, and I also see it with other entrepreneurs, but let's take specifically me, which is a very annoying uh, example. Um, uh, I think if I would have gone and told myself, oh, these are the things that you need to understand, I'd be like, eh, I probably don't need to understand all of them. <laughs> and it's probably, maybe I need to understand this part, and that part, mm-hmm. but everything, uh, things will, turn, will work out. What's the, what's the big deal? <laughs> so I think maybe a better approach is, um, and, I, and I try to take that as like a positive approach of, Okay, t- tell me what, what what do you want to build? What are you excited about? What's yeah. what's the potential that you're seeing? Then like trying to play to run the game with them, run the simulation. Like, okay, how about this thing? How how would that work? And and then you, you start to have the it's also also I'm trying to just try to be like a rubber duck there as well. I just help them bounce back with themselves. What's the story when they play through it? What are the things that are, that they feel that they'll that will work out actually with the different little elements and which things will actually resonate well with them. A lot of times people also don't think about what type of company they actually want to have, want to build. And it's these little details because of those that butterfly effect create very different companies. A company that is doing bottom-up for developers and a company doing top-down for developers or definitely doing top-down for a different persona, they're going to look completely different. Different hirings, different people, different strategies, different everything. Yeah. And yeah. which company do you want to wake up to every morning? What what? How do you want your day-to-day to look like? Hmm. Um, so I think going through the day-to-day, going through the little elements and how they interact and kind of covering stories, you get people to kind of have aha moments of like, oh yeah, I didn't think of that one. And that could actually, I can do that better. I can, maybe let's try that angle. And as they start to play with it, uh, first of all, they don't get 
uh, antagonized and they like, so I had a lot of mentors or people that I interacted with that were like, what are you an idiot? Uh, why don't you have this? And why don't you have that metric? Why do, and you're like automatically, okay, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm you want stupid. with me. Yeah. yeah. But if you go with the positive angle, it also, I think, teaches the, how to play that game in your own mind. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's actually the game that like, at least as a CEO, you, you need to get good at. Yeah, I think it's 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 obvious that you have a passion for startups, and you know it's no surprise why you've you've had success in building them. I think anybody that's that's listening, um, you know, that is at that same point that young all was that we were just talking about. You know, um, you know, I know that you've never said no to anybody that's asked you for advice, myself included. You know, and and I would urge anybody that is perhaps trying to build something, their dream, their passion. You know, if they're a little bit stuck, that they reach out to you, and and you're happy for them to do that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I'll I'll do my best. Um, yeah. sometimes it will also be like, oh, go. Here's what I'll point you at something that yeah. you try to look at that first before you dive too yeah. deep into something. Yeah. But yeah. I'll 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 definitely try and help as as much as I can. And yeah. yeah, and people can reach out to me. I'm easily found on LinkedIn. I have a very Silly and unique name, uh, or wise. That's O R W E I S. Um, I'm also available in the same tag on Twitter and elsewhere, and um, always happy to talk to follow fellow engineers and uh, fellow entrepreneurs. So, and I think um, you know, testament to the to the culture of Israel. You know, I think we were speaking speaking about it earlier. I've got a lot of friends, a lot of clients in Israel. And anytime I ask for help, it's it's never too much of an issue. Even with what's going on in Israel at the moment, and the last year, you know, there was a situation before the war even broke out, and even still, yeah. then, then and now, you know, if I say, look, I need a little bit of help with this, it's it's never too much trouble. You know, it's, it's just a, you know, it blows me away. It does blow me away. We, yeah, I think, in Israel, we have a sense of like we're all one big family. So if someone from your family, like a, a brother or your cousin comes in and asks for help, of course I'll help you. Mm -hmm. um, there are pros and cons, obviously, to that approach. Also, sometimes people get too familiar. Uh, but I think in overall, there's, there's some good advantages to it. And I'm also hopeful that these exact characteristics are the ones that are going to help the country um, emerge from the hardships it's going through now and uh get into uh better days and hopefully pe more peaceful days for yeah uh all the people involved yeah well yeah well i you know i pray for you and everybody that i know and have encountered in israel that's always been kind and positive to me so i have nothing but good things to say and pray for um but oh i've taken too much of your time already you're a busy man with a young family so no doubt you've got better things to do than to talk to me and look at my Christmas shirt for the rest of the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed the chat. I think you've asked some great questions and we, uh, and I hope I, I shared some interesting stories and uh, I look forward to talking with you more. more. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, man. So look, enjoy your evening. Thanks again for your time and I'll see you soon. Thank you.